spent four dynamic weeks talking about the development process of Jesus. And here's the concept. Jesus was arguably the greatest leader in the history of the world. So what did he do to develop those around him? What processes did he use? What were the ingredients of Jesus' development recipe? And if we've done our analysis correctly, uh, none of this should really be a surprise. This should really be just a reminder, uh, a re-inspiration for us. If, if this is a surprise, we've done something wrong. Think about your physical lives. We know that we are supposed to eat well and exercise. But every now and then we need a reminder of that. So, so this series has really been, for all of us, a reminder of those things that help us develop toward our best selves, the, the processes that, that others engage in with us and the, and the processes that we allow and that we engage in ourselves. So no, Dustin, this is not working on your core with Christ, but this is an effort to identify the ingredients that we need to build out the core of who we really are and how we relate to others and how we relate to God. Did you see what I did there? So far, we have identified four key ingredients for our personal development process. The first one was preparation. We need to be prepared to grow. We need to prepare ourselves and we need to allow God to prepare us. The second ingredient was teaching. We need to be taught, especially we need to know the teaching of the design manual and in particular, the teaching of Jesus himself. The third ingredient was community. We need to be connected to others. This is not a solo adventure. The fourth is challenge, and we talked about this last week, and we'll review some of that today. We need to be in, in an atmosphere of challenge. We ordinarily don't think about that with our spiritual and emotional lives, but we do. Otherwise, our emotional and spiritual lives we will be defined by wherever inertia takes us, and that's never a really good place. So today we're going to introduce the fifth ingredient, and it's a big one. And uh, let's kick it off with a word of prayer and then a reading of Scripture. So... Let's pray together. Father, we welcome you this morning. We thank you for the snow. We thank you for uh, the beauty of it. Um, you know, these kinds of storms, Lord, often remind me that you're in charge. And uh, we welcome that this morning in our lives. We are reminded that you are sovereign over us. And um, we invite that. And again, Lord, if, if uh, on Thursday at some point we have forgotten that we invited that, remind us. You're, you're the governor of our lives, and we submit to that fully. I pray that today, Lord, would be a, a clear reminder to us of the helpfulness, the, 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 the absolute necessity of hearing honestly from others around us and from you, even constructive criticism. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I want to begin with a really awesome passage of Scripture. It will be familiar to many of you. It follows a passage of Scripture that may even be more familiar to some of you. It's in Matthew chapter 16. And I'm going to ask if you would, if you have a Bible, please turn, or you can look in mygateway.life. It's on the sermon card, mygateway.life. But we're looking at Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23. And I want to ask you to uh, stand with me out of reverence for God's word, if you would. So we're looking at Matthew 16, verses 21 through 23. From that time on, 
Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, not on my watch. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You may be seated. Okay, what in the world is going on with this passage? Well, right before this passage, you may be aware, uh, this was, uh, at least up to this point, probably Peter's high point, at least his spiritual high point. Jesus had been curious about what people were saying about him in the public at large, but he was especially curious about what was forming in the, in the minds and hearts of the disciples. And so he asked them, uh, who do people think that I am? And they gave various opinions because there were various opinions floating around about who Jesus was. Uh, then Jesus said to the disciples, who do you think I am? And Peter answered, he said, well, you know what? Honestly, uh, I think you're the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus gave Peter an epic commendation. Peter, wow. I mean, that is so awesome. You couldn't have come up with that on your own. Uh, that's the whole, I mean, that is God, the Holy Spirit speaking literally to you. That is so profound. In fact, on the, on the strength of that profession, Peter, I'm going to build everything that happens from here. My entire movement is going to be built on that. Now, Peter's feeling really good about himself, so then Jesus begins to tell them a little bit more about what is essentially his mission. Remember that. We'll get back to that later. He's going to be killed. There's going to be this huge conflict. Jesus is going to be killed. Peter puffed up already from, the, from what he's heard from Jesus. He says, not on my watch, Lord. That will never happen. And Jesus gave him immediate feedback, didn't he? This is ingredient number five in our best version of ourselves recipe. Feedback. Jesus consistently gave his followers feedback. To achieve the best version of ourselves, we will need feedback about our behavior, our attitudes, and even our assumptions. I'm going to tell you as an aside a little bit about where this even came from this morning. Uh, months ago, we were thinking about just increasing our corporate discipline as a staff here at Gateway. And, and we were talking about getting better at the process of reviews and a, an annual reviewing process. And Jennifer Wing found this really great talk for us uh, by a, a pastor named Adam Johnson. He's the, he's the campus pastor of Brown Bridge Church, which is a campus of the the North Point Church system in Atlanta. He gave this great talk on feedback. It was, it was inspiring. And really, that talk, noodling on that talk, and, and by the way, the substance of that talk is going to highly inform our conversation today. So thank you, Adam. Uh, but that talk really inspired me to do the thinking that led to this sermon series. You know, how is it that Je what did Jesus do? What, what processes did, did he use to d develop those around him? And, and th that led to this. So thanks, Adam, for this talk today. To achieve the best version of ourselves, we will need feedback about our behavior, our attitudes, and even our assumptions. Now, pause. Before we go any further, we have to admit something. We don't like feedback. 
Oh, we love, we love to hear great things about ourselves. We, we, we love uh, to be bragged about, but honest feedback is something entirely different. Honest feedback always includes those areas where uh, we're doing great, and it also includes those areas where we're doing okay. You know, some improvement would be awesome. And then honest feedback will include those areas where, whew, that's, that's really not good. And, and, and we need... We need some help here, you need some help, and we also need to, as an organization, figure out how to work around that because for, for us as an organization, that, that hurts. Uh, it's just not working. We don't like this feedback, but nobody gets to be the person that doesn't have those areas in their life, in their skill set, in their natural talents, in their emotional makeup, even in their approach to God. Nobody gets to be the person who's got it all together, so feedback, is critical for us. If you're married, you know the tone. Why did you say that? Or why did you do that? Because whenever you do that, this happens. And as soon as that conversation starts, as soon as you hear the, I'll guarantee you, you're not thinking, oh boy, this is going to be awesome. I can't wait for this conversation. Or none of us ever stops the family right before opening presents on Christmas Day and says, hey, I know how much we all love giving presents to one another. I know how much we all like opening presents. But today, I'd like us to start with something even more fun. How about if we just start with some feedback for one another? Or I've never had anybody tell me, you know what my favorite time of the year is? Annual review. That's just my favorite time. Generally speaking, we don't like feedback. And so we resist it. We'd rather not hear it. We know we're not perfect, but look, can't you just kind of ignore my imperfections? They're not that big a deal anyway. And, and uh, now I can't ignore your imperfections. They're huge, but mine, they're very understandable and reasonable, at least to me. Um, we don't like feedback, and yet Jesus gave regular, honest feedback to his followers because he knows that if we want to achieve the best version of ourselves, we will need feedback. Last week, we talked about the importance of challenge. As I said, we're going to dip into that a few times this morning to remind ourselves. We talked about challenge as, as an ingredient for our personal development. Let me review because it helps couch this conversation. We mentioned that one of the enemies of us receiving challenge and of us stepping up to challenge when it's offered by others or by God is our lack of faith. That was one of the big enemies of, of us stepping into challenge. Lack of faith. Jesus knew this as well. So what did he do? Jesus repeatedly gave his followers this particular feedback. That is, he talked to them about their lack of faith repeatedly. Listen to this litany. Why are you worried? If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Matthew 6, 30. You of little faith, are you so afraid? He asked in the middle of a storm in Matthew 8, 26. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? He asked Peter this when he was slipping in the waves in Matthew 14. You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Matthew 16, 8. Once the disciples were asking why a spiritual exercise didn't work for them. Because you have so little faith, he said in Matthew 17, 20. Jesus knew his followers needed feedback in order to be their best selves, and he gave it consistently. Pastor Adam Johnson, in his talk, uh, he talked about uh, this, this as a habit that they're trying to build or a culture that they're trying to build. 
in uh, their church in Atlanta and uh, the atmosphere of honest feedback within their staff. And he talked about this, this habit that he's encouraging their, their staff. And I really like this. He said, anytime you get any feedback of any kind, let's say, ouch, that helps. Almost like, uh, you know, you drive to McDonald's, I mean, uh, sorry, McDonald's, sorry, Chick-fil-A. You drive to Chick-fil-A, you say, thank you. They say, you're welcome, always. So they're establishing, ouch, that helps as a part of their rhythm. Ouch acknowledges that this ain't fine. But that helps acknowledges that in order for me to be the best version of myself, I need this feedback. Ouch, that helps. Now look, there's an art and a science to giving and receiving good feedback. And we should be people who work on both sides of that equation, the giving and the receiving. Because feedback is critical, not only to our development, but to the development of the people around us. I think uh, I tried to think about that when someone on the staff at Gateway last year gave me this book, Perfect Phrases for Performance Review, because evidently they thought that I needed some help in being able to give honest feedback effectively. Ouch, that helps. Uh, here's the thing. That stupid little book, and it is a stupid little book, that stupid little book has sold over a million copies because receiving and giving feedback is hard, but we have to do it if we care about the people around us and if we care about our own growth. Jesus showed us that repeatedly. To, to achieve the best version of ourselves, we will need feedback. So to help us marinate on this for a minute, I'm going to beat a dead horse. I want to answer two questions about the feedback process. One, what are the enemies of feedback? In other words, why do we resist it? And, and secondly, how is it that we resist it? How do we push back on feedback? This isn't meant to be an exhaustive list. I'm sure you've got your own internal enemies that would make your list, and, and you may have very creative ways of resisting. But I, I, I want to poke at this for a moment just as a way of highlighting the importance of feedback, but also as a way of beginning to break down our resistance to it. We, we resist in ways and at times that we don't even realize it. So what are the internal resistors? What are the enemies of feedback? Uh, why do we resist? And, and let me list two that I think are primary. One, again, we said this last week. You may remember, we were talking about uh, challenge, and we said that, that Jesus established an atmosphere of training among his disciples. This wasn't casual spirituality that he was doing. The atmosphere was not religious in some vague sense. This was an atmosphere of improvement. He was taking them somewhere. So the first resistor is complacency. Complacency. So in that context last week, we discussed the fourth ingredient challenge. We said that for many of us, the first enemy of stepping up to challenge consistently is complacency. We don't want to do work that we don't have to do, especially in the emotional and spiritual area. We said this is usually not how we even think about our emotional and spiritual lives, but if I'm never stepping outside my box, we said if I, if I actively resist being uncomfortable or always trying something new, if I always for example, check my political opinions with those who agree with me entirely. If every new spiritual expression feels too weird for me, if I only complain to people who I already know will collude with my point of view, if I work too hard at surrounding myself with people just like me, if I avoid stepping up to the challenge, if, if I never say yes to the opportunities that God offers, I will not grow. 
I must be challenged in order to grow. We said more. We said in the same way, uh, if every difficulty I face becomes an opportunity for me to complain, complain and whine instead of looking for how God might be moving in that difficulty, then I will not grow. If every obstacle I face turns into an opportunity to exercise my quitter's gene, then I, I will not grow. And I ended that point by pointing out what Coach Paul said in Romans 12, 11. In Romans 12, 11, Paul says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Don't ever grow complacent. So, I think it's fair to say that, that feedback is the opposite side of the same coin. Challenge on one side, feedback on the other. We don't want to hear it, partly because it's easier to stay where we are and how we are. We get complacent. I remember uh, when I was in seminary, uh, after college, I, I, uh, over a couple of years, I felt called by God to go into ministry. So I went to seminary. I went to a, a, a seminary outside of Boston, Massachusetts. It's a non-denominational seminary. Um, not knowing exactly what the Lord wanted me to do, what area of ministry, but I knew he wanted me to do something. And I really loved my seminary experience. One of the classes that I had when I was at seminary was a class in leadership. So I took a, a semester class in leadership, and one of the first uh, classes, he did a, uh, the professor offered us a leadership test. I have since looked for this test and have been unable to find it, but it, it wasn't just a style survey. There are lots of those out there, different ways of slicing leadership and looking at different styles of leadership. This was a leadership grid that offered healthier and less healthier perspectives on leadership. And all I remember about it was it was, it was a box. You ended up with a box and nine squares, three across the top, three on the side, three, and three, with, with one in the middle. And uh, the, you answered a long series of questions, which, which were really kind of test case questions. They'd give you a little paragraph, and then here are some options for how would you respond. So. I answer this test, and at the end of it, I can't wait to get my results back because I know that I'm going to be, obviously, dead center, and, and I'm going to be excited both to see it and to accidentally show other people. And he gives us our results back of this leadership test, and I'm not only not in dead center, I'm way up to the right in the corner of some box, and I thought to myself, there must be something wrong with this instrument. And then I read the description of this leadership style and some of the things that this particular leader needed to be looking out for. And no, I didn't want to hear it. I, I resisted it because we resist uh, good feedback. And what would happen is over the next 10 years of my life, I would get shown that not in some survey, but on the ground in individual lives when my leadership was falling apart over and over again. I would get shown the same truth and it took 10 years before I started recognizing, okay, I got to start paying attention to this. I'm not anywhere near as good a leader as I thought I was. I want to talk to those of you who are young for a second, um, particularly those of you who are millennials, you know, let's say 35, 36, 37 and younger. Uh, I'm of the generation that raised you. I want you to see this picture. I think I put it in the slide deck. Yes. Okay, that is uh, a, I promise you, that is a small sampling of the trophies that one of my children got from one sport that they participated in. 
And it's not because they were the most outstanding athlete in the state of Virginia or that their teams always won the local and state championships. It was because every team that they ever participated in of every sport, we gave them, right, participation trophies. They were constantly getting trophies. We have, we have boxes downstairs where we set aside our kids' stuff from when they were little. They're full of trophies. I'm afraid we may have inoculated you against honest feedback. We may have made you feel like you're pretty great at everything. No need for improvement. <laughs> it's possible we may have encouraged a generation of people who are pretty complacent about improvement. If you're not committed to improvement, you will not improve. It doesn't happen naturally. We don't naturally move in the direction of improvement. Left to our own devices, we settle. Uh, old people, I have to step on our toes as well. This tendency, I think, increases with age. You know, there's a reason there's a proverb, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Plus, you will miss much of what needs to be improved about your life if you don't get good, honest feedback. Think of looking at yourself in a mirror. You get a pretty good perspective from one direction, but you know you need perspective from, from other directions as well, which you cannot get from looking in a mirror. We must push past our complacency in order to achieve the best version of ourselves. We need feedback. I'm prepping us all for the next time that we get it so we can receive it and say, ouch, that helps. Second uh, resistor, second natural resistor, second way we resist receiving feedback I think is our insecurity. Look, our identity is tied to the opinions of others. To varying degrees, this is true for all of us. Some of us want to be admired, some of us want to be respected, some of us want to be liked, and think about it, the reference point for all of those is other people, the opinions of others. Thanks for the Feedback is a book devoted to this entire topic, obviously, of feedback. The author spent a considerable part of the book dealing with the, this issue, the issue of identity. They define identity as this, the story we tell ourselves about ourselves. The story we tell ourselves about ourselves. And this story, our story, the one that we tell ourselves about ourselves, is in many ways fragile. Uh, so we, we have to work at maintaining it, at, at keeping the story together, at, at helping it hold. And, and that work to maintain our story often works against our ability to receive feedback. Well, can you see that? My favorite quote from uh, Adam Johnson's talk was this. It's dif difficult to improve something when we're trying to prove something. So... If I, if I need you to see, if I need you to see me as completely capable and awesome, if I need you to check some internal box for me, then to that degree, I will resist constructive criticism. There's not space for me to think of improvement. I need you to believe there's nothing to improve. I need that to bolster my own sense of myself, to confirm my story about myself. My insecurity compels me to resist your feedback. Here's an important side note. This is why the movement of Jesus in our lives is a movement toward freedom. It's, that's so important for us to remember. 
Don't miss this. Jesus' movement within us is not a movement towards rules and regulations. It's a movement toward freedom. The God who loves you wants to nurture the best version of you. So as his voice gets louder and larger, the impact of the opinions of others grows softer and smaller. We get freer and freer of the need for others to affirm us. Listen, Christian, if you're listening in from the outside, we're really glad to have you. But for those of you who are followers of Christ, our identity is in Christ. In fact, our older brother Paul used that phrase over and over again, in Christ, as we grow in our understanding of that. Well, that's growth toward freedom. We are who he says we are. We sing a song here at Gateway that we were going to sing this morning before snow happened and our band had to completely alternate. And thanks for that banjo, Nate. How good is Nate on the banjo? Um, well, you don't have to applaud for him. He's going to ask to play it every week and that gets obnoxious. Uh, but we sing this song here. Uh, I think it's Who You Say I Am. It's a great song. We were going to do it this morning, but uh, as I said, we were unable to do it without the whole band. So we're going to do something instead. I'm going to ask you as an act of worship, in the middle of our conversation here. I'm, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're just going to recite the words to this song together. If you're at home, you're stretched out on your couch, you don't have to stand, but, you know, at least wake up. Um, but I'd love to have you stand as well. Let's stand together, and let's say this together. And I, I want you to hear this. I, I want you to let this marinate. I want you to, you know, I want us to own this. Say this with me. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Who the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Free at last, he has ransomed me. His grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Yes, he died for me. Who the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God, yes, I am. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God, yes, I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Pause. We're going to repeat that. And, and this time we're going to say it with meaning. We're going to own this. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Father, we honestly, we open up our hearts and ask you to work that in. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you sit down for a couple of minutes? When that truth becomes a settled position for us, feedback can be welcomed. All right, that brings us to our second question. How do we resist feedback? How, how do we push back against feedback? We won't be as long with this one. Number one, I think we just avoid it. I don't need to spend much time on this, do I? Typically, we just don't want to hear it. When we want to know how we did on the presentation at work, we don't ask the person who's most likely to give us criticism, even if that person is the one most likely to be honest with us. We, don't, we, we want to hear from the praise corner. 
Now, look, admittedly, the praise corner is giving us feedback. It just may not be honest feedback. Listen to how the psalmist processed this activity in his mind. Psalm 141.5 says this, Let a righteous man strike me or put me in the right place. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's oil on my head. That's, that was their highest way of blessing someone. That's the way they anointed their priests. It's oil on my head when a righteous person rebukes me. Feedback is essential to us, or as the psalmist put it, it's a kindness. So when we push back against it by avoiding it, we are not doing ourselves any favors. Second way that we, the, the how of our resistance, I think, is wrong spotting. We wrong spot feedback. This term comes from the book, Thanks for the Feedback. They use this term to describe the process, listen to this, the process that we go through, often unconscious, the process we go through of trying to find the thing that's wrong with the feedback that we've been given so we can dismiss it all. So it may be that the person giving the feedback was just too angry, or they don't even know me, etc., etc. We find whatever is wrong with the feedback, then we can reject it thoroughly. We usually wrong spot in one of two ways. We universalize it, and we awfulize it. Ironically, this makes the feedback more devastating, but then it also allows us cleverly to dismiss it because we know that the universal awful version of what we've heard, just heard can't possibly be true. Here's how it works. They say one thing, we hear another. They say one thing, and we hear another. They say this, and we, we hear the awful universal version. So give me these if you would, Pete. They say, you've been late to a the last couple of meetings. We hear you're bad at your job. They say, it'd be good if you could make it to the kids' soccer game this weekend. We hear you're never around. They say, you shouldn't have said that. We hear you never say anything right or you never say anything the right way. So the feedback we hear is painful and it must be utterly rejected. It's not true. We know that we're not that bad. Plus, this helps us reinforce our pattern of avoiding it because who wants that? Look, here's the summary. I'm going to give you a big picture summary of what we said so far. We resist hearing feedback because of complacency and insecurity. We push back against feedback by avoiding it and wrong spotting it. Now, as I said, this isn't meant to be an exhaustive treatment of the why and how we resist. I'm just trying to disarm our armament because we are armed against it. I'm trying to get us moving in the direction of welcoming feedback because we need it in order to achieve our best selves. Before we end today, I want to look again at Matthew 16, that passage from Matthew 16 for a second, because there's a point that I alluded to, but we kind of skipped over, and it's a, it's a big one in terms of, of feedback. So let's look again at Matthew 16. That time on, after this encounter with the disciples, Jesus began to explain to his disciples, he's got to go to Jerusalem, suffer, he's going to be killed, third day he's going to be raised. They have no idea what that meant. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Not on my watch, Jesus. That's not going to happen. Captain Peter here, and Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but 
the things of men. I want you to notice what's at stake in this passage. I think Peter has gotten a little sideways, maybe. He's not, you know, he's not seeing things clearly, but good grief. It seems like Jesus goes a little overboard with this feedback. Get behind me, Satan. Wow. But look at what's at stake. You see, this is mission critical for Jesus. And over and over again, this is, this is where... Uh, the, the, this is where Satan attacked Jesus at exactly this point to get him off mission. You don't have to go suffer Jesus. Get down, turn these stones into bread. You don't have to suffer Jesus. Just bow down to me. I'll make, I'll make you famous. Everybody will bow down to you. You won't have any enemies. Constantly, Jesus was resisting the temptation to get off mission. And here again, one of his best friends, Peter, gives him an out. It doesn't have to be that bad, Peter. This is mission central, and it often is. Feedback is often at the point of mission centrality. That's why it's so critical. Sometimes feedback is not just about you being a better you or me being a better me. Sometimes it's about the mission, the mission for the company, for your company. That's why we do annual reviews. It's not, not so that we can make people feel bad. It's because we're trying to stay on mission. That's why, we give, that's why we give honest feedback to one another. God has a mission for you and for me. There's something for you to do. And we need feedback in order to stay on mission. So, parents, if you're a parent this morning, I want you to think about God's purposes for your children. Feedback can be a way of fighting for that. Good, honest feedback done well. I remember when uh, our children were young, Diane and I did a pretty good job with uh, many things that we did not do a good job with, but we did a pretty good job with, we made a big deal in our kids' lives always. We made a big deal uh, of uh, disobedience and disrespect. And honestly, I think the disrespect thing taught our children emotional discipline. Uh, you know, they don't overreact to things now at this point in their lives. Um, it, it just was not allowable to go in the store and throw a fit. And, and you know, I would, I want that. No, you're not going to have that. If a fit was thrown, eh, buddy, this is just going to get worse for you if you keep doing that. And it did. Uh, we also made a big deal out of disobedience. But here's what we would say. I mean, countless times when our children were young, I would say to one of our boys, hey, buddy, look, if you don't learn to obey me, then when you get older you won't be able to obey yourself. You're learning the, the habit of obedience. And if you can't obey yourself, buddy, you'll never be able to obey God. We made it mission central, the feedback that we gave them, because it is. Listen, think of, think of this with employees, people that you work with. In giving feedback, you're working on their behalf. Of course, you're moving them toward their best selves, but you're also fighting for the mission of the company. Think of this with your own life as well. When, when you work to receive good feedback, when you work to receive good feedback and, and work to give it well, well, you're, you're fighting for the promise that your life holds. When you work to receive feedback well, you're fighting for the promise that your life holds. You're fighting for God's mission for you. You're fighting for your best self. No you know, someone tells you something, ouch, that hurts, you want to reject it, to reject it, 
your, your internal work to not reject it, but to try to receive the truth of what they're saying. Tell me more. Explain to me how that, how do you see that? That work is you working mission central for God's best purpose for you. Let me leave us with two questions to reflect on this morning on our way out. <clears throat> so is resisting feedback a, a pattern in your life? Think of the times when you've gotten all upset because someone has said something critical to you or of you. Is this a pattern in your life? Let me rephrase that. How is it that you resist feedback typically? Because I know it's a pattern in your life. It is for all of us. And have you resisted lately? You may need to apologize and go tell your husband or your boss or your friend Remember that conversation the other day? Ouch, that helps. The uh, ouch may remind them that they need to get a little better at giving the feedback and that that helps will inform them that you heard and that you want to change. Second question, is there some feedback that you have been avoiding giving? It's critically important. It may be mission central. Prepare yourself to do it well and then go give it. Go give the feedback. All right, if you miss everything else, don't miss this. Jesus consistently gave his followers feedback as a way of developing them. To achieve the best version of ourselves, we will need feedback about our behavior, about our attitudes, even about our assumptions. Ouch, that helps. Let's pray. Father, this is not something <laughs> that we want to open ourselves up to, but we, we do because we know we need it. We know you love us. We know that you're expressing that love directly to us and I, you know, through the feedback of others. So uh, we welcome it. All right, well, maybe not welcome, but Lord, we receive it this morning. And I honestly pray that you will bring to mind conversations that have happened recently for us where we've resisted, we've gotten defensive, or we've gotten angry, or we've minimized it. I pray for honest conversations and some ouch that helpsness. Thank you so much, Jesus, that in the process of doing this, you are always gentle. You care for us. And Lord, we, uh, we trust you. We trust you with ourselves. Uh, we trust you with our lives, and we trust you with our best selves. And we pray that every day you'll continue to, uh, don't give up. We know you don't, but just continue to press us toward the best version of ourselves. In the strong name of Christ our Lord we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.